There's no music if you have no body to play it with, so take care of your body first. You getting into the gym and you lifting weights and working on muscles, is it's physical therapy for the benefit of your playing. The truth is nothing works like just taking care of the simple stuff. Diet, exercise and sleep. Take care of that and you'll be fine. Join us as two musicians and fitness coaches discuss strength, wellness and fitness in relation to musicians, artists and performance. Welcome back to the Tuned and Strong podcast. I am your one of your co-hosts, Angela McHuston from Music Strong, joined by my other co-host. I am Dr. Jen Cabis-May of Tuned and Tone Performance. Today we're joined by a special guest, uh, Garrett Hope, who, and it's not Dr. Garrett, is it? Did I just mess up your, okay. Did I? It is, but it you, is. I, I, don't have, I don't use my title all the time, <laughs> so I'm good. I'm flexible. Fair enough, but you know, you work hard for those and you want to actually, yeah. you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> we are joined by Dr. Garrett Hope, and um, <laughs> he's going to be talking to us about um, quite the gamut of things. I think we're going to be talking about some resiliency and some mental coaching and um, also some music business in here a little bit. But before we get down that path, um, Garrett, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? I'd be happy to. So, yes, I'm. Dr. Garrett Hope, but <laughs> I don't hang my hat on the title ever, really. So it's totally fine. I am a composer, but at the same time, I do a lot of uh, public speaking and training and coaching. Uh, I coach creatives, primarily musicians and composers, on building their businesses. And with that comes a lot of mindset coaching because we are our biggest obstacles to getting to where we want to be. Um, I am also a recovering academic where I got to the doctorate because that's the kind of minimum prerequisite for getting an academic job. And I've had jobs and I've taught and I love teaching, but for a variety of reasons, if, if we go down that path, I can tell those stories, but I am now no longer doing that and I love it. <laughs> so I write a lot of music. Uh, I write primarily for educational ensembles. So a lot of high school and middle school bands and choirs and orchestras, but I do the occasional media project. So this summer I did a short independent film and other things. Uh, I'm a church musician. And then, like I said, I do a lot of coaching and speaking, helping other people. Yeah, I think you're our second composer we've had on this podcast. So oh, yeah, yeah. You have more of us. We're the best. <laughs> We're not going to argue. Really? <laughs> so, um, yo, shoot, it just, it just left me there. Um, yeah, go ahead. Okay. I was, was going to go down that path, I just completely lost my train of thought. So you talked about coaching and it sounds like you've, not to, not to put a label on you or anything, but it sounds like you've become more of a specifically business coach for musicians. What's, what's involved in, is that correct? And what's involved in that if that's, or whether or not that's correct? <laughs> it is, it is correct. Yes. So what a lot of, I do is I help people figure out what they're doing with their businesses first off. So we'll look at all the offerings that they have and, and create opportunities or find the opportunities. And that word sometimes 
can mean different things to other people, but primarily the way I'm using it is different streams of income. And what I believe strongly is there are an abundant, almost infinite number of opportunities for people that lie at the intersection where other people's wants, needs, and desires are and where your skill sets intersect. And once you figure out who you want to serve and how you can serve them, you begin looking at what do they need? What do they want? And then what do I bring uniquely to the table, right? And a lot of musicians, and I think you guys talk about this, we, we get trapped in the perfectionist mindset. And that's inherent in the way we're trained because you either play the piece correctly or you don't. <laughs> and it's yeah. sad, but that's not how businesses are. And that's kind of a, the wrong mentality to develop because it creates a fixed mindset mentality. And we need to have uh, an open learning mindset. And so we, we work a lot on that mindset stuff so that we can begin to see what other people need. Um, but the first step I do as a business coach is to work through what I call the coaching model. I, actually, I didn't create it. It comes from uh, another wonderful life coach named Brooke Castillo, who has a great podcast of her own. You could look it up. But the idea here is that your thoughts really create your reality. And so we begin looking at all the steps from your circumstances, from your thoughts to your feelings, the actions you take and the results you get. And everything is connected. And there's really all the problems you could ever bring to the table are one of those. It's either a circumstance, a thought, a feeling, an action that you're taking or a result you're getting. And so we begin there. And that's really the, where the mindset journey starts. Did that answer your question? I mean, I think so. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> um, there were so many things. I, I had a same kind of moment that Angela just had. I had multiple things pop up and then they all just went whoop. Oh, I remember so. what it was now. I was going to ask, like you mentioned um, before we were, we were recording here. I think you said you have your own podcast as well, yes? I do. My podcast is called The Portfolio Composer. And I started that in February of 2015. So we're working on six and a half years oh my goodness it's wow. a long nice. time nice yeah so what part of my journey is that i was doing the academic thing and mm -hmm. i left academia i was beginning to ask myself questions like you call yourself a composer but you pay the bills by teaching so what is it going to take to pay the bills by writing music and that's when i really realized i'm a small business owner and I have to learn everything that goes into that. And mm -hmm. as I was learning these things and having these amazing revelations, I was also looking at who I am. I'm a, I'm a teacher at heart. I really am. Like, I just love mentoring people and helping. And so I just pivoted all what I was doing towards this, giving resources through the podcast. And I was learning how to coach and beginning to coach. Um, so I was m moving away from the classroom towards building my business. So that's where the podcast came from. So it's really a, a podcast for composers on the business side of writing music, but it's, I think there's content valuable for everyone. People in my audience are performers and everything, but it is geared towards composers. Fantastic. I don't think I've heard of a podcast geared towards composers, no, but to be fair, I haven't looked. Right. <laughs> Yeah. 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 
No, I love that um, we keep coming back to, um, and almost everybody we talk to, whether or not um, it's a business-focused episode, there's there's always that moment of like, man, we're really self-employed, and I really wish I knew this, that, or the other, because, you know, um, so it's great to see that the conversation is really starting to happen on a frequent level, or at least a more frequent level. So. Yeah, I mean, this is something I think a lot about. And in fact, uh, Dr. Heidi K. Begay, who the two of you know and have interviewed recently, she and I are working to build something to help fill that gap. But a lot of people, and I used to do this too, put the blame for this lack of knowledge on our colleges and universities. And I really don't think that's where it should go. Because music schools really have one job as far as I'm concerned, is to make high quality musicians. Maybe you disagree. When someone goes to music school, we want them to learn to, to play the right notes and the right rhythms with the correct intonation, right? Like, because mu music is done well. Or <laughs> I mean, it's important. <laughs> right, it is important. And if you've ever been part of curriculum design or uh, kind of program like educational systematic type stuff there are very limited spaces where you can begin to add in these kinds of entrepreneurship trainings i mean if you're gonna uh, most undergraduate degrees are between 120 and 128 credit hours right so if you're gonna add in two semesters of this stuff what are you gonna take away i mean we already require our music majors to spend like eight semesters doing one or zero credit work it's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. So what I think the real problem is, is that our schools of music education are promising jobs on the other end. When I was in my master's degree, I had one of my supervising professors say to me, this was in 2005-ish, say, Garrett, this is a great time to be in grad school because all these baby boomers are going to retire and they're going to they're gonna need to hire you. So I start my doctorate in 2008, and that's when the economy just dings. And colleges and university, well, first of all, a lot of professors who could have retired chose not to. And honestly, this is a profession where you don't have to, you can die in your job. And <laughs> we all know that that creates its own problems, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but <clears throat> colleges and universities, as these positions did vacate, many of them chose to either transition them from tenure track jobs to contingent jobs like adjunct, or they just got rid of the tenure line altogether. Mm -hmm. And so all the promise of jobs, the carrots that were dangled in front of me and my peers 20 years ago, 15 years ago, were no longer exist. And I like you look at the job market now and any job that's posted, there's more than a hundred candidates that are all equally qualified. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the real problem. We want to become good musicians. I want people to play music excellently, like without a doubt. But I don't think our schools are doing a good job of saying the reality is you're going to graduate and you're going to have to know how to run your own business. You're going to have to know how to identify an audience. You have to know how to market yourself. You need to know how to sell your product. And what are, what are your products? What are you going to do? How do you build a teaching studio if that's what you want to do? All of these things. And so this is where what I'm doing as a coach and a podcaster, 
I come in. And, and Heidi and I are trying right now to build something even more robust, specifically for people like the three of us with graduate degrees in music who wanted the academic job or the performance gig because orchestras are the same way, right? Like, there's so yep. many orchestras, but we're hundreds and thousands of people who qualify for each of the positions. So how can you take what you've studied so long for decades, you've perfected it, and just pivot that towards the marketplace and becoming your own boss and taking control of your life and making money too at the same time? Because we, we love having houses to live in, right? And food in our fridge. and. Mm. Yeah, that's helpful. Yeah. <laughs> to say the least. To say yeah. the least. Yeah. And we've gone down that path um, with quite a few people, I think, talking about, um, you know, well, at least I think it was on this podcast. They're all kind of running together, you know, but it's uh, talking about um, the starving artist mentality and like, how can you serve anybody if you're starving? Who's going to benefit, <clears throat> excuse me, who's going to benefit from your work and from your art if you can't feed yourself? You know, that, that it's, it's ridiculous. It's got to go. And one, uh, I read somewhere recently that Michelangelo was uh, of his time. He was very wealthy. He was like a millionaire of his time. He was not a starving artist. So why should we be? He's still hailed as amazing. I mean, if that want, if you want that to be your choice and that's what you choose, well, absolutely go for it. But to have that, that, you know, it's stuck in the back of our brains while we're learning is that well you'll never make any money at this so you better have something to fall back on you better get a I, I remember when I was in my my undergrad degree I was getting my degree in performance and the head of the band program came up and said Angela you're a great performer but why aren't you getting a music ed degree and I was like because I have no desire to teach band and he goes but you have to have something to fall back on you should consider it and I was like so you don't believe in your own program wow okay no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the myth of starving artist is a pernicious lie, and I'm doing everything I can to kill it. And mm. it goes back, uh, really. It, how geeky do you want me to get here? I can get really. How about? Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> you know, I don't think we've gotten too geeky on here yet. So go for it. Well, I'll do <laughs> okay. So it 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 with. With humanism and the rise of the Enlightenment, right, uh, we, we start to see that, uh, first of all, the, the, the patronage is shifting away from the, the church to the royals, and eventually that shifts in the 19th century away to um, specific individuals because royal families were losing their, their power and their authority. And along with that came some specific artistic ideas uh, about art has to come out of struggle and and um, torment. And in fact, I had a professor 15 years ago, we were studying the, the, the music of Alfred Schnicka, you know, this kind of oppressed Soviet bloc composer who was trying so hard to be boundary pushing, but the government wouldn't let him. They said, and he said, Garrett, your music will never have the pathos of Schnicka because you haven't suffered enough. And that's that same mentality. I know it's all like it's like hogwash. It's like forget you, man. I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna write my music and have a great life. And there's paintings and poetry and all this stuff, kind of 
glorifying the idea of this of this person who just wants to have this grand gesture or say the right words and they live in poverty and the truth of the matter is like you said michelangelo was crazy wealthy and a lot of it these guys weren't poor they were well paid for what they did they just had bad money management I mean, <laughs> mozart died poor because he just he just spent it all yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> These guys, they were actually pretty brilliant businessmen. Beethoven put together the funding for every single one of his concerts. He got the orchestras together. He got the venues. He did all of it. And we have this idea that he was just struggling alone in his attic, right? And it's, it's uh, not true. And near the end of the 19th century, a lot of, of these kinds of struggling artist types because they believe that so so deeply, they attach themselves to academia. And they're like, well, we're, we're going to teach so we can pay the bills. And a lot of musicians specifically always taught. I mean, we've like any of the great composers or performers, they had studios, right? That's, that's what they did. But they also sold themselves as great performers or whatever. They sh sold their own sheet music, copyrights, publications. It was all there but starving artist man that is a bad lie too many of us believe there's a really good book um is it called great artists don't starve or something by uh goins is his last name i'll have to look that up but i think i've seen it i think i know what you're talking about yeah i mean yeah it's all it's all a lie yeah yeah i i don't want to go too far down this path but I do think that it's tied into um, just in general, the, I feel like personal opinion time. <laughs> um, I feel like there is a glorification of dark, depressing, hurtful media yeah. in our current culture. And there, there's a, there's some beauty in that, you know, there's some beauty in the person who creates something in a terrible situation. But I would say, well, if we're going to go that route, let's look at Messian, you know, his, his quartet. Mm. He created something beautiful that was also positive. Mm -hmm. Not something that's like, well, I'm in despair and I'm going to take you and drag you down with me. If that's all your, if, if that's all your media diet consists of, yeah, you're going to start getting depressed and you're going to hate yourself and you're going to see the world that exact way. So if all you hear is, well, I have to, I haven't suffered enough to be a truly great artist or I'm not starving. And so therefore I can't, if you hear that enough and you believe it, you start believing it. Yeah. What you going to do? <laughs> well, then you begin thinking you're not, you're not good enough. Your music's not worthy. Right. No one wants to listen to it. You don't have anything to say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That actually ties I, i'm gonna go off on a tangent here angela so if you've got something have at <laughs> well, i was just gonna say this this actually ties really well into one of our recent episodes with vinnie shulshevsky who is a really uh a successful trumpet player here in nashville i'm in nashville tennessee by the way he's a really successful trumpet player he's a studio musician he's been on tour with i think martina mcbride was the longest one that he did but keb mo and and steven tyler and you name and like he's played with everybody and he's just got the best attitude and you know at the very end he starts talking about being successful and charging a thousand dollars a day to be able to do like what he thought it was crazy and then he realized 
with the amount of experience that I have and what this is worth to me to go on tour and to leave this and to do this and make it, it's not crazy at all. And he just put it out there and they're like, yeah, that's fair. Uh, how do you want us to pay you? I mean, it's no big deal. And this is not the first time I've heard this. I've had, a, I have another friend of mine. He's the um, uh, drummer for John Legend or was for his big Thailand tour and all that. Um, he played, he's got a band that played at the Olympic uh, opening of the Olympics in Beijing back in the day. Um, Y'all look him up. His name is Patrick Malley. He has a band called Cyrus, which is with his brother. They're both like well over six feet tall white dudes. Uh, his brother speaks fluent Mandarin. It's the oddest thing I've ever seen. So, I mean, they're really cool, but he's like, yeah, I want to get you out on tour with John and, you know, um, do with what you do. And I think you could charge a thousand dollars a day. And I went, excuse me, you know, so coming from, it's, it's not like in the business, it's not unheard of, but depending on what you've been taking in on what your worth is and what you are worth and what you're allowed to charge and what's okay, what other, other people charge, that could either seem like, yeah, like in Vinny's case, it's like, yeah, absolutely. That's totally worth it. Or I'm not going out, whatever. I don't have to. And in my case, it's like, that'd be amazing. I changed my whole life. It was, it's, it's totally different. But well, we kind of have these internal money temperatures mm -hmm. and uh, we we probably can't even verbalize it. But we 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 get to a point where we look at our bank statements and our balances or we think, how much can I charge for my services per day, per hour? And and then we're like, oh, that's too much. And you get uncomfortable. But the only limit there is in between your ears. It's not at all. And a lot of what happens is we learn these money habits as children from watching our parents and whatever money trash our parents dealt with, we kind of inherited. Like maybe your parents didn't talk about money or maybe money was always hard. So we believe money is hard. Like it's, it's gotta be difficult to like manage it, to, to have it, to grow it and all these things. And, and, that ties into this kind of internal temperature we set for ourselves. Have you guys um, read um, The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks? Fantastic <laughs> book. And he talks about what he calls the upper limit problem. And hmm. this is in terms of performance, but I think we do it with our money too. So have you ever experienced in your life when you do something really big, something major, you've set this huge goal and you achieve it and it's like, I did it. And then like the next day you're like, I suck. I can't do anything. You've hit that upper yeah. limit. You did something you didn't think you could do. And then your body instantly is like, Oh, oh we got to back off. This is too much. And we do that with money. Like the first time I got a job that was paying me more than I thought I was going to get offered, I thought, oh my word, like this is the best thing ever. And then instantly every other job is like, oh, I never, I don't think I'm ever going to get that again. I'm not worth it. Or I don't have enough money in my bank account or I just stress out and we hit these limits, but it's completely uh, a kind of this idea based thing. It's a, it's a money mindset that happens. And you can untangle that knot. You can work through it. And like you were saying, Angela, you can charge a thousand dollars a day. You can charge more than that. When I, I like, that's kind of where I start. When 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 colleges and universities reach out to me to come and and do presentations, I kind of just I start at a thousand dollars. That's as you should, right? Yeah. Like, why why not? 
I mean, they're coming at you, right? <laughs> yeah. Also, you can always do you know that, but yeah, go ahead. Sorry. But there's this other thought of we don't know what anybody else charges, so we don't know, so we set the bar low. And if we only had a clue, and like, why don't we talk about what we charge? Why, why don't we? I know I'm a personal trainer too, and nobody wants to say what they charge. Why not? I don't have a clue. I don't. And people are like, well, you want to be in the going rate. Right? Well, not if you don't know what my buddy who's in the same gym has his own business charges. I don't know. So I actually, I had this thing uh, with the gym owner last year. He's like, I'm going to start mandating that you have to have a certain number of hours to work here. Well, you can work here, but you're going to pay the difference if you don't have that many hours. Like, cool. I'm going to raise my rates. He goes, don't do that. I'm like, tell me what to do. You're just raising your rates. So I did, and here's the funny thing. I raised them twice on my single session only just to see what would happen. I went from $75 an hour to $95 an hour, which is where I thought I'm after 10, 11 years of this, I know what I'm friggin' talking about. If you're gonna charge for one hour, what are you gonna get out of an hour? Okay, and so then I thought, you know what? These other packages that I have, that doesn't make sense because I want that to be of less value. Not that I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you less value, but I want you to see that there's more value in working with me longer term. So that means I've got to raise that again. So I changed it to 125. Good for you. I have people pay both and not bad an eye. And they just went, okay. The ironic thing is you probably had more people want to work with you. I would, I would bet because we're getting into price psychology here. Price. I didn't mean to go down this road. <laughs> That's, I, oh, I well, love it. We don't it. talk about it. No, we don't. Yeah. yeah. Price is an indication of value, but it's not necessarily value, right? But if you have two equal products and um, they're priced differently, there's two ways to think about it. One is you're shopping by, by budget, right? So if, if they both do the same thing and they're of comparable quality and you're just worried about the bottom dollar, then you're going to go with the, the cheaper option. Mm -hmm. And people with a fixed or a scarcity mindset always choose that, right? Mm -hmm. However... If you price something a little bit higher, along with that comes a cachet of other things. So even if I could go to your gym and there's two trainers and I want a 90 minute session, someone who's going to, you know, measure my BMI, give me a diet plan, and maybe here's four weeks of workout. Like you could do that in a 90 minute session probably, right? And sure. one person's $60, but you're 125. What that indicates to me is that you have greater expertise. There's a reason you're, you're charging that much. You don't just pull it out of the blue. There's yep. something behind it. That's right. It's like when I started teaching guitar lessons when I was 16 years old for my first student, I probably charged like 10 or $15 for a 30-minute session. <laughs> now I'm orders of magnitude beyond that, right? Because I not only do I have that expertise, but I have the experience, but I can also deliver on the promise. Now, mm -hmm. guitar lessons are a dime a dozen in just about any city you want across America. And you could probably still get a $15 lesson, especially online. But is that going to be the same quality of education? So by pricing yourself higher, you have put yourself in a... a kind of a new class and you attract better clients. The people who are willing to spend more are going to be the ones who are a going to do the work that you're asking them to do. Right. And they don't complain as much. Yeah. That's the problem with yeah. free. 
So it's great. Raise your rates again. Maybe every year, (laughs) a 5% bump. It's going up. Yeah. And I mean, this is, like you said, so applicable to lessons too, right? Yeah. Like every, everything music. Um, Oh, I was so going. Okay. I remember where I was going with that. I was like, no, (laughs) Um, (laughs) no, but it's, I know a lot of people too, who are going to be listening to this are going to be scared. Like, well, but if I raise rates, then I'm going to lose people. Or if I say I charge this much, then, then this person is going to leave. I'm like, good. They might. What, what do you do though? Right. Do, do you do the people who don't want to, no, 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 sorry, to the person who's like, do you do the lessons for the people who just won't show up and won't do the work and then blame you for it? Um, I, I mean, I, I had to tell a gal the other day um, for, she came, she was interested in my fitness coaching and she was like, well, I'm like, okay, well, what are your goals? Well, I really just, I want to get rid of my belly and I want a bigger butt. Um, but I really just, I want to lose weight. I'm like, well, that's not what I do. Like you can do both of those as a side effect of what I do, but that's not what I do. Like if you want to come in and and you lose weight as part of the process and you, I mean, we do enough glute work. You're going to probably get a bigger butt, but, but, you know, but it's like, well, you can lose weight doing what I do. You might not, but you can, it's absolutely possible, but that's not what I do because I don't personally believe it. I I believe in, I'm here to feel better about myself and like myself and figure out what I can do and the eating well and the weight loss, which is where the other part of that equation comes in. That doesn't work unless I'm already feeling good. Yeah. She just kind of looked at me like. So I'm not just going to help you lose weight, but you're welcome to come try. And she's like, I want to like myself. I'm like, come try it. So there's a few things (laughs) that in there I'd like to react to if that's okay. Sure. The first is if you are worried that raising your rates is going to um, reduce your clientele, you're living in a scarcity mindset. Mm -hmm. So first of all, I would encourage you to switch your thinking to one of you're delivering something of value that people want and they want to pay for. And if you're teaching private lessons, I know that there are market considerations, but there's, there's always going to be another student and uh, you want high quality people, no matter what your rate is. So sometimes we have to fire the people who just don't pay on time, right? Or the ones who mm-hmm. are missing. Like we've all fired students and said, I'm sorry, this isn't a good fit. And you have to be willing to do that. Otherwise, you're just harming yourself and your business and you're causing yourself mental anxiety and and anguish. And then you you were talking about kind of the the side benefits, but what you really do is this. And so you were niching down and you very clearly know this is what I do and this is how I can help you. And the more clear we can get on that, whether we're teaching studio lessons Mm -hmm. or health and fitness or Mm -hmm. composition, whatever, the better we can serve our audience and the more directly we can attract the right people into our businesses. Right. Right. And I can tell you right now that if, if that person had come in with that mindset, um, she would have failed. Yeah. And it would have been my fault. Um, and I've had that with students too, where it's like, yeah, I can, 
teach you this. It's not what I do. So I don't want you to come in and pay me for a short term and cause me a bunch of anxiety because I'm not giving you what I want you to have or I can't or whatever, or you're just not the right fit for this. And so you're failing. And therefore I think it's my fault. Yeah. (laughs) That's not worth that. So we're going to take a quick break and we're going to talk about the ultimate music business summit because we haven't gotten on this point yet, but Garrett is working on this with Heidi, who we have just interviewed. And that is something that we are going to, um, we are promoting and we are sponsoring and we are happy to be part of that. So we've got a, we've got a commercial that we are going to take a break to hear. And when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation. Hey there, my name is Dr. Garrett Hope. I am a composer, coach, podcaster, and speaker. I've been focused on building my music business since 2014 and helping others build theirs since 2015. I want to tell you about the second annual Ultimate Music Business Summit we are organizing. It'll take place early January of 2022. There will be dozens of presentations with highly actionable content, all of it available to you so you can start your business, grow your business, and ultimately make more money. Because here's the deal. Unless you earn all of your income from an employer, you are a self-employed small business owner. And if you want to do more than survive, if you want to grow your audience, or if you want to impact more people, you have to think and act like a business owner. And that means this summit is for you. This summit will give you real-world, not theoretical, strategies you can implement immediately. You don't need to be stuck with fear or living in your failures. I promise you. With all the teachers lined up, you will get something you've never thought of before. Even though building a business is hard, no one is promising it's easy. It is possible. You just need the right tools and strategies. Tickets for this virtual event will go on sale soon. To be the first in line and to get more information about the summit, presenters, and more, go to musicsummit.biz. That's musicsummit.biz and add your email to the list. And we're back, and we are joined by Dr. Garrett Hope and my co-host, Dr. Jen Campus May. And we were just talking about guys filling us back in. I'm sorry about that. Uh, it's a good time to have a have a break. And so, where were we at? Well, there was something I I wanted to um, add. To I was re- reacting to what Jen was saying, um, and now I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> we're oh, talking well, it about it happened to all three of us it had yeah. to yeah yeah we were talking about charging for charging more charging yeah charging what a little worth versus and then uh, really hiring mean? clients and students and all that and um yeah. failure the the gal that i told what i did was like well if she'd shown up and with that mindset she would have failed yeah and, and how- i've been very upset <laughs> and communicating to the right audience exactly what it what it is you do and sometimes people just need accountability. Like right now I'm working with a guy who um, I needed to get back into resistance training, which is something I had not done for a long time. And all I needed to do is put some money on the line, put some skin in the game. Because like my interaction with him is all over Discord and he's just like, here's, here's your routines, here's what you gotta do. But it's, it's just because I've paid him a couple hundred dollars. I'm like, oh, I'm, now I'm gonna do it. Mm-hmm. And you guys probably see that in as fitness experts too. You just need you need the accountability, and mm-hmm. money helps with the accountability sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I see it with myself. Yeah. I, what do we we don't value free? How many free things have I downloaded and not used? Not used at all. Yeah. 
No, but the things I've, the more expensive a thing is, the more I'm likely to use it. Yes. There's more value. There's more on the line. There's more investment. Whereas free, it's like, oh, this could be helpful. I'll look at it later. That ne- that later never happens. Or it might happen and you don't remember what it was. Or it just doesn't have as much value. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's why I don't give free sessions. I'll give free consults. Mm-hmm. And then I can tell you mm-hmm. if I can help you or not. But I don't give free sessions. Also, I, I got to design somebody a program. I don't just do stuff. It There's more to it. You're not going to get out of a free session what you would out of a program. Right. Yeah. yeah, I don't give free coaching sessions either, but yeah. I'll give an initial consult because right, not everyone's a good client or a good right. fit for what I'm going to do. Right. Yeah, exactly. So you want to make sure you're matched up with the right coach, with the right trainer, with the right teacher, with the right person. Yeah. So yeah. we went down this, this beautiful rabbit hole. And b- before we go back to Jen, whatever, like you said, do you have anything we derailed this way? We go back <laughs> to what you're talking about. Um, have uh garrett have you heard of the book uh it's by um i'm gonna say his name wrong i want to say walfred that's not his name it's waddles alfred waddles oh the old like it's a hundred old old. yeah i just finished it did you really yeah uh the science of becoming rich i think yeah 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 i've read a lot of um napoleon hill's stuff who came just after him but it's that same kind of idea. Yeah. It's, it's a quick, I would say it's, it's, it's not a quick read, but it's a very thin, he gets to the point pretty darn quick, which I appreciate. He doesn't go on and on about this, that, and the other. And the language is old. So it's a little little bit to wade through, but it's not as, I mean, it's, it's pretty thin. And um, I started going through it and this week I finished it. And he basically says, don't waste your time with this. Don't waste your time with this. Focus only on this this, 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 and I want you to read it every day. And until you have really invested this, don't read anything else because this is the most important thing. You getting wealthy, you getting rich is the thing that can help the most people and not just help your life. You're not doing this to to just buy a yacht and cruise around and be stupid. (laughs) Nothing wrong with buying a yacht, but you're, you have a goal. And so you have to get, um, focus on what is your goal with this? Why do you want to be wealthy? What are you going to do with those riches? Why is that important? And then, like you said, um, when you see exactly what you want, it manifests, which is the weirdest thing, but I've seen it happen. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my daughter, who is uh, 13, and if she's hearing through the door, she's going to hate this, but um, (laughs) she just got braces. And it's $6,000. And... Like, where is this money going to come from? Well, mm-hmm. after praying and manifesting it, like I got some new clients and some new gigs and it was exactly $6,000. And it was just what I needed to pay for her braces. And yeah. And that number was probably stuck in your brain, right? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You thought about it all the time. $6,000, $6,000, $6,000, $6,000. And then your brain was like open to looking for these opportunities and suddenly they're there. That's how it works. That's right. Gratitude. He also mentions gratitude and gratitude is a huge thing. Huge part of that. Um, So for anybody who doesn't know, um, about a month ago, I was uh, driving to the store and somebody smashed into my car to stop sign and totaled my car and left me hit and run. 
um, just minding my own business about a mile from the house. And I was like, just going for stuff for dinner. And two hours later, the police hadn't even been dispatched because they were too busy with other people. So I wasn't an injury, so I wasn't important. Um, <laughs> so, you know, and I, 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 of course, I had a pity party of why is me? This is my fifth wreck in this car. All of them were people hitting me. Why is me, you know, why is my car a target? Why me, baby? You know, big old pity party, right? And then, um, I can say this now because it's going to be released in a little bit, but I had a friend and I told him what was going on. And he's one of those guys that he has every tool known to man and he can fix everything. And, you know, he's the guy you want to know. He's like, are you a mechanic? Basically. Can I fix anything? Yeah. Sure. So he goes, well, I got, I've seen pictures of your car. I don't think it's totaled. I'm like, I don't think it is either. He goes, you drove it, right? I'm like, oh, I drove it up on the tow truck. And he goes, let's go get it. So we got a release from the, the collision place saying, it's you can't drive it. We no, no responsibility. I was like, it's my car. Give it, give it, give it back. And so we went and like the sun had already set. We're like in the back of this collision place. It felt like we were on this, like, like we were stealing, which is funny because it's my car. We're not, we had permission, but it was really funny. We literally hooked up a, a chain to the car and we pulled the body away from the tire. We deflated the tire somewhat, pulled the body with his car, with his giant diesel truck, pulled the body of my car away from the tire, reinflated it, been driving it for the last three weeks. It's fine. Wow. That next day, I cannot tell you how much gratitude I had in that moment. Um, I recorded it on Snapchat because I was a crying, giggling, excited, goofy mess. I was just, I, because I wanted to remember how grateful I felt that suddenly I had, I had no car, no transportation, no money, no rental car, no nothing. And I was like, oh my gosh. And then suddenly it was all returned to me. And I was like, oh my gosh, I, I have never been so grateful to have my vehicle back. And it just, I wanted to record that. And, and that feeling suddenly just spilled in everything else. I was so grateful for this and this and this, and like all these little things, just immense gratitude. The next couple of days, I got a bunch of inquiries of new clients and I got a, a wedding gig and I hadn't had a wedding gig in years and it, out of a text from someone I'd never met. And like all these things just in the next 48 hours. And the only thing I can think out of that is because my mindset shifted to gratitude, Yes, which sounds funny. Not to me. Think about how grateful we are versus how ungrateful we are when you think yeah. about it. You know, I think having a, a gratitude process every day, like part of my routine is to wake up early and meditate and just be, be grateful. Just write it, write it out, you know, like, and it, it could start with really simple stuff. Like I'm grateful that I was, I'm alive today, but if you can even get to the deep stuff, and this is sometimes what I work with with my clients, like, can you get grateful for the really hard things or the stuff, the, the good stuff that's coming out of the really hard things? That's where you were. And that energy resonates, right? Oh, it's beautiful. That's a great story. I can't tell you how excited I hugged my friend so hard. I about broke his bones and I was crying. He's like, <laughs> I, I thought, I thought you were going to kill me. You were so happy. <laughs> like, so like, Steph, you're my best friend ever. Oh my gosh. You just saved my job and my life. <laughs> like, cause I couldn't even get to work. Like I had nothing, you know? And I was just like, you don't understand. <laughs> so grateful. I don't think I've ever been that grateful in my entire life. So, 
yeah but <laughs> y'all stay grateful it's a beautiful thing it is in i'm like getting teary-eyed thinking about it you know and like the fact that it still drives and who cares about what was me and why and i started thinking about this too it's like why maybe was my car a target how many people continued to say it i never said it out loud but i thought about it so all these people kept hitting my car three in the last year i wasn't even in it for one of them it backed into me i'm like wrong with people you know and and i started thinking about it and i thought what what's the underlying there and i think when this happened i realized that when i got that car i was not in a gratitude mindset when i bought it it was a i deserve this i should have this this is mine blah blah you know kind of thing so i think it's okay that now that it's totaled and i can still drive it um the next vehicle is going to come from a better place i don't think it's a target i think it was more of an outward manifestation of me the driver the owner you know Sounds kind of silly, but it's the only thing I can think of. I can believe it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if that, I don't know if that's a hard pivot or a not hard pivot. I don't know where you're going to go, but we went down that path for a long time. <laughs> and I oh, that's okay. I, whatever. It's all, it's all good stuff. Yeah. And it's a fun story to share. If you want me, anybody who wants that video, let me know and I will post it. And I'm like, <laughs> I mean, it was just exactly like that. It's wonderful. <laughs> um, where I was going to go is I was going to ask, um, going back to your personal story, um, you were talking about you had the job, the job, you know, that we think we should have when we get our doctorate. Um, and you found that there was something missing. And so you pivoted. Um, and I know a lot of, a lot of us, um, struggle with that shift and with, is it right? Is it okay? We've talked about this multiple times, Angela and I have, um, with multiple people and just on our own. But, um, I was curious what, what caused you to make the shift, especially since, especially since you had the job, these are in air quotes, if you're listening to the audio only, <laughs> especially since you had the job, the job, um, <laughs> What caused that shift? What was the mindset? What did you find that got you to go that direction and feel good about it? Well, I, let me provide some more details because this was a, a shift that was kind of forced upon me in many ways. Um, I had my contract, my teaching contract, not renewed by my department chair. Oh. I was fired. And the long, to, to make a really long, complicated story, as short as possible, this chair was threatened by me and the work I was doing. And it's a story that when I tell it to people who are in academia, everyone's sympathetic, but no one's surprised because this kind of thing happens within institutions all the time. And so, um, and, and I'm fairly confident, though I can't prove it, that this chair killed some other interviews like i was a finalist at a few places and when they called to say i didn't get the job they said some clues that hinted to me that they spoke with this person who i requested they not speak with and other things mm -hmm. and at the time my wife and i decided to move back to the midwest um we're in nebraska i'm we're not of us are from here originally but my wife has a great job. She's a Montessori educator. And 
we wanted to bring our daughter back into this spe specific school. And we decided that we were not willing to ap apply for jobs because when you're on the academic job market, you have to be willing to move anywhere. And we just weren't. And so in many ways to kind of set the framework for your question, this was forced upon me. And this put me in a really dark place. Uh, my wife was convinced that I was truly depressed. I'm sure I was, yeah. um, mm -hmm. but I didn't seek any help for it at the time. Instead, I was trying to figure out how to solve the problem because it's like, what am I going to do now? And this is when I discovered and realized the, the entrepreneurship part. And so I started the podcast, but at the same time, I also um, got certified as a piano technician and I started a piano tuning business, which was great. I shut that business down a few years ago because I just got tired of dealing with people's crappy pianos. And <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> yeah. And then because I had gotten to a place where I could start to be grateful and gratitude again, then the university here called me because they knew I was in town. It's like, we really need you to come and pick up some classes. So then I was teaching adjunct and to, that was great because I wasn't invested, right? Like I, that wasn't my identity anymore. And there was so much freedom there. Uh, and a lot of what helped me make these pivots was getting to that place of gratitude. And I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. Like everything you said, Angela, is exactly what I experienced is I had to get to the place where I'd say, I'm actually thankful that I'm no longer in this position. I'm thankful that we had to move back across the country. I'm thankful that now I have the opportunity to start a business and serve people in new ways. And more opportunities came my way. But I had to switch my thinking and the mindset and do a lot of self-work. I hope that I was answering your question, Jen. That I think so. Okay. I think so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that story. Yeah. I mean, I think it's how many of us can look back on a time in our lives where a, a negative was turned into a positive. The difference is when you are able to shift your mindset in the moment to see the negative as a potential positive. Where is the gift in this? Where is the opportunity in this? What am I missing? There's something right here, right here. I know, I know there's something like we talked about this when, when, when the whole pandemic started and we were, we were forced to stay home. And then we really got to working on this podcast for one thing, like we were like, well, we got time now, you know, and I, I did a whole bunch of stuff that I had been putting off. It gave me the impetus to get it done, just to feel like I, I put it off because I, I felt like I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I thought, well, let's just start with this whole, there's a series of instrument specific workouts. And I just did them on Instagram live. and went, I'm going to write these out. They're going to be real short. They're just stuff you can do before you play. You're sitting at home anyway, no equipment. And that, that took on a life of its own out. This whole thing, it would have never happened. Yeah. And I'm really glad it did because I was like, oh, I'm going to write this whole series of books. I don't want books. You watch videos. Yeah. There's a good thing in that, you know? Yeah. yeah. Tony Robbins teaches that no matter what happens, you can always ask, what can I learn from this? What mm -hmm. good is happening here? And these, some simple questions like that help get you out of that dark space, right? And out of the but it's really hard 
to even get yourself to ask those questions. You know, yeah. when bad stuff happens and you just say like, what's good here? And you, in the moment you're like, nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yep. Yep. And, and I was thinking the whole thing about my car was the same situation. Yeah. The day you got hit, it was not a good day. And it, oh, what's funny is it had just been a good day. I had just gotten off a video call with someone at the Grammys with Music Cares and they were going to partner with me. And I'm like, yeah, it's so awesome. We're going to run to the grocery store and go stuff for dinner. And then, yep. <laughs> but we want to be careful here because I think there's, you, when you, you can't run from your emotions and you can't mm -hmm. like bury that that grief and frustration and anger you experienced, right? Like, let, let, let yourself feel it, but you also can't live there for days and days and days and days and days. Yeah. Yeah. And from everything I've experienced and witnessed to that, the um, urge to run away from it, like, okay, but when it comes back out, it's going to be doubled at least. <laughs> you know like certainly don't wallow but yeah don't bury it either that's that's not good that nope. stuff there, accumulates another... interest <laughs> absolutely i didn't mean to talk over you jen no it's okay it's all right um, garrett there's another book i've been reading um it was recommended to me a very long time ago and i'm just now actually getting back into it i'm sure you've heard of it have you heard of this book called the dark side of the light chasers no. by debbie ford i have not oh it's brilliant and it's basically talking about um not exactly what we're talking about here kind of similar to it but instead of just reframing um the situation you're in it's about owning things about yourself that you don't want to own oh and it's like yeah it's really good stuff and I'm, i i i fought the book for a long time and when this car accident happened i went you know what let me just see what this book was about again and oh is it speaking to me oh my it's basically like the the thing i read yesterday was um the the, the author said something like well what is one word i hate about myself sloppy i can't stand for anybody to call me sloppy and mine would be lazy oh i i cannot it's, it's, right okay the musicians Thanks. you can relate to this one right yeah and the thing was, okay so where did I first hear sloppy? And it came from my mom or did like she related it to something in her, her past and that's how where the association came from. And then she went, I'll save you all the details, but basically she went to the end of it and she said, well, what gift does sloppiness give me? What is there that is good from that? And it's basically um, like another one of mine is procrastination. And I hate that about myself. And I hate it that I do it and I don't like to own it. And I'm like, well, what's a gift there? And the reason, and I, I thought about that, like one of the reasons I procrastinate is because I want to get it right. And I want to write something really good for somebody and I want to do the best. And if I feel like I can't, then I procrastinate and I just need to get going and it's okay. But that's a gift to that person, sort of, <laughs> you know, but like thinking that like reframing that negative aspect of yourself in a, in a way that ends it, it turns it into a gift. And then you start seeing, you start, um, the, the whole premise of this book is basically owning those parts of yourself that you don't like. And this is how you can, when you own them, you're open to more gifts that they have to give instead of just pretending that you can't embody that emotion. Everybody has every, every emotion. Oh, all of yeah. us. I love that. I love embracing the whole you, right? And it's not like you're, get, you're not trying to 
necessarily correct the problem. It's more like, this is who I am. Yes, exactly. My older brother um, was severely handicapped. He had cerebral palsy with some significant <clears throat> mental retardations. And so when I was growing up, part of my normal was living with someone like that. And his best friends were autistic and Down syndrome and stuff. So birthday parties were just really interesting. They were. But those people, if you have not spent time with them, they live in themselves without the fear of what all that stuff means, right? Mm -hmm. And so I had this very unique experience as a child growing up with a brother like this, that it was, it's okay to not be able to do all the things or to be broken in a way through no fault of your own. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of thinking out loud now because this is just like, uh, you're, you're just like opening new ideas for me. But uh, I, w I wonder if, if having that experience has allowed me to have a slightly different perspective on yeah. myself. Now, I still like, there are aspects of me I just hate, right? My wife could tell you all about that. Cause I'm sure I complain about it mostly, but <laughs> I, it's really interesting. Like maybe we should spend more time with the people who fully embrace themselves. Yeah. It will definitely bring to light things about yourself that you are hiding oh, because yeah. you know, the things that you don't like that what, and that that's another part of that book that she brings up. It's, it's what is the one thing that bothers you about other people? Oh, it's probably something inside something you. Something that's, yeah. Yep. Yep. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Almost always. <laughs> right? I'm going to get um, the book. Thanks for the recommendation. Well, sure. Sure. I'll put the yeah. link in the show notes, too. And um, yeah, if we've got, uh, you mentioned a couple others, I'm going to put in there as well. But yeah, I mean, when, it, when we talk about resiliency and mental coaching and mental mindset and shifting and all that, it's all related. And it it's, if anybody has never, if you've ever thought about getting counseling and you haven't done it, please do, because it's just, I wish we could take the stigma away from that because I think it's just the best thing. Sometimes you just need to talk out loud to somebody and they ask the right questions. You come up with your own answers and then you leave feeling better and clear and it's a good thing. Yeah. So as a coach, I mean, I'm, I'm to be clear, I'm not a therapist. Right. Sure. I sure. Really no, I, I wasn't saying you were, I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> but the coach's job is to deepen the learning and further the action. And sometimes a lot of that takes place just through talking it out. Because the coach, and maybe this is true in the fitness world too, holds the position that you have the answers, but mm -hmm. you're muddled. And mm -hmm. by talking it out and the coach helps clear away all that clutter so that you can make a decision and then take some action. Yep, that's 100%. Yeah. Again, same with same with music lessons for me. Same with coaching with me, same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we were talking about uh, uh, music, uh, being a self-employed person and music, and business, not music business necessarily, but business. And there's another book that I'm, I'm sure you guys have heard of. It's called Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller. And yep. he right. talks an awful lot about being the guide because every hero needs a guide. And that's exactly what you said. I just like the way you framed it, that the uh, the coach like you hold all the answers. The coach just kind of shows you them. Yep. Yeah. Well, how, I, how did you say it? Well, the coach's job is to deepen the learning and further the action. So we yes. hold the space 
So sometimes you need somebody else to just believe that you can get there. Mm -hmm. And the coach will do that and the coach will walk through with the process, but you have to discover it because if I tell you exactly what to do, I've taken away your initiative and your, and your drive. And sometimes mm -hmm. there's a little bit of consultation that happens. If someone comes to me and they're like, I don't know how to sell my music. Well, here's some steps you can take, but for yeah. the most part, it's what do you want to do? How are we going to get there? Let's figure it out. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so can you transition real quick and telling us about what the ultimate music business summit is? Sure. Yeah. Good time for that. <laughs> right. Great time for that. Beautiful segue. So last year in the midst of, you know, no one knew what was happening with the pandemic and everything was still up in the air. And it was a, everyone's stressed <clears throat> and musicians were really in a bad place because we lost gigs. All of us lost gigs, tens of thousands of dollars worth of gigs mm -hmm. um, and opportunities. I wanted to create a resource for people to help them. So I created the Ultimate Music Business Summit and it took place first weekend of January. And it was a couple dozen presentations and the idea was to get actionable advice so that you could take control of your business in your life in 2021. Well, we're repeating it. Except this time I was smart and I built an executive team. So it's not just me, it's Dr. Heidi K. Begay and Arthur Brewer, who's a composer and business owner who lives in Portland. And so together we're building this thing again. It's gonna take place uh, the first weekend of January. So January 6, 7, of 8 of 2022, we already have 32 presentations and a keynote. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be actionable advice. And I really mean that. We're telling the presenters what we want is people they can come. And presentations will be anywhere from 20 to 45 minutes, maybe an hour. But you can walk away, and there's at least one thing you can do to move the needle. And so the overriding philosophy is you are a small business owner. No matter what you do within the world of music, you have to control your mindset. You have to know what you're offering. You have to know how to build a relationship with your clients, networking, marketing, PR, all of that. We're trying to cover as many things as possible. There's something for you no matter what you do. So there will be a very low cost ticket option. And that's just to cover the expenses because we're going to do this on a platform that allows us to have live presentations with Q&A with the presenters so that you can interact with the people that are there. Um, and then we're working to get sponsors such as this podcast and a few others, and we'll have a virtual showroom space. Um, so we're hoping people can go and uh, learn more about everyone who's helped bringing this thing to life. But then we're also going to be selling an all access ticket pass. This is something I did last year too, because it's so much. Um, if you have the time in your life to sit through every presentation and we're, we're building the schedule as we're recording this. So we might have two things happening at once or more. We're not totally sure yet, but you, there's no way you can take it all in all at once. Can you, it's like almost 35 hours worth of content. You take what <laughs> who can do that in three days? So with this all access pass, it allows you to essentially have the recordings for life. It's a, we'll create a membership site so you can go and you can watch it at your leisure. Um, and that's really where the value is. And we're talking, uh, we're going to initially offer it 
at last year's rate, which was $67. But by the time we get to January, it's going to be twice that. So it's going to be around 137 But 30-plus hours of content for 137 bucks that's a steal. And it's stuff that you can go and apply to your business so that you can do all these things better and ultimately make more money. And Angela, you said this too. Like, we don't want to be rich to be rich. Like, I want to be rich so I can help other people. I want to be able to fund their products on Indiegogo and the projects on Kickstarter. I want to be able to go to concerts. I want to be able to um, help others. And I can only do that if I have the money to begin with. Mm -hmm. And we want you to have money too because a rising tide lifts all ships. So that is the Ultimate Music Business Summit. And I'm just so excited about it. Uh, oh, oh my gosh, I'm over the moon. The presenters we have and the, oh, it's gonna be great. I'm excited, I wanna, I wanna get this. I'm actually, uh, I'm gonna be uh, doing rehearsals and I have a concert that during that entire sixth to the eighth, so figure. But um, I have spent the last decade trying to figure out my business as I go. If I can skip some more of the next decade in three days, I'm all for it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. If, yep. if there's just one thing that can help you move the needle, it'll be worth your time, right? And yeah. we, we can talk about ROI. So let's say you pay the full rate. And if you get the ticket early, you won't. But let's say you spend 137 bucks, and you make one decision that ends up being worth $5,000 over the next 12 months, right? That's a pretty good ROI. Yeah, that's exactly it. And that's a great way to visit. If you are, if you are a uh, self-employed person, as most of the people who are, I think, listening to this podcast, that's a fantastic way to proposition or proposition, to position your selling points as well. You know, if, if what I do when you spend this much allows you to make a decision later on that makes you 10 times as much, is that not worth it? I would say it is. Yeah. No, I'm, we're not promising you're going to make $5,000, but you could. There's information there that if you apply it and you take the action on it, because you have to do the work, yeah. you will reap huge rewards. Exactly. And if you are filing a Schedule C, if you receive 1099 income at all, it doesn't matter if you filed as an LLC or S-Corp taxation, the government thinks you're a business. So you're paying FICA and all this other stuff. So operate like a business. There are laws in place that you can take advantage of for your money benefit, but also to protect yourself legally and to grow your wealth and to grow your business so you can ultimately serve people better. Like as a musician, I wanna create experiences that serve people. So how do I do that best? By operating like a business for one and making good art, right? So. Heck yeah musicsummit.biz yeah. that's where you want to go all right and all that will be in the show notes of course yes. yeah <laughs> yeah it's gonna be great yeah i'm looking forward to it too so <laughs> maybe next year we got to get you guys presenting I'm down for that <laughs> absolutely we had a, a meeting today and we're like, well, should we invite more people? And we're all, we looked at the schedule. Like, There's no room. No. <laughs> if we did one at a time, it's three 11 hour days. Plus the keynote. It's too much. That's yeah. a lot of content. Yeah. 
Yeah, that is a um, that is any conference I've ever been to. You know what I mean? Where it's it like you well, leave exhausted, and people are like, "Why are you so tired? You had a trip last week." I'm like, "Yeah, that was that was work." Okay, <laughs> it was great work, but it was work. <laughs> we're, we're not trying to overwhelm people here, but no, no, no. You like when you go to a conference, you pick and choose what's going to be most applicable to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but if you get that all access pass, you can you can kind of have all that information. But even if you don't, we want you to come and and learn something that's going to make a difference. Um, we we yeah. want you there, even if it's if you're like the low cost option might be ten to fifteen bucks, just to cover the expenses of the platform. You'll get so much out of that. <laughs> It'll be worth yeah. it. Cool. Totally agree. I think we scratched the surface. I think there was more we wanted to talk to you about, but this has gone on for quite a minute. So yeah, um, I think this is a good stopping point for now. I'm sure we'll bug you again. <laughs> like you'll, you'll go on our absolutely. list of like repeat people we need to talk to. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. This was fun. I'd be happy to. Great. Well, we'd love to have you. I mean, it, we talked about so many really valuable things and I think, um, thank you for, for, being willing to dive into those topics that we, when it comes to money, musicians just don't like to talk about it. And yeah, it's time we talk about it. So I'm glad we did. So uh, Jen, where are you located? I'm in Tallahassee. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. We should (laughs) create some live events in Nashville and Tallahassee. Oh yeah. Yeah. Next month. Let's do it. Let's get people together. Let's change people. I'm all for it. I'm all for it. We're going to talk about that here in just a second when we, uh, we quit recording, which my thing is frozen again. So we're about to control all delete and hope the world saves. Okay. I don't know my computer today. It's just had too much. (laughs) What? We can see you at least like, yeah, well, I quit clicking stuff. That's probably why (laughs) I just leave it be. I realized it was frozen. I went, I just leave it alone. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> well, thank you again for, for um, being on our, on our show. And we're going to put a link to everything in the show notes. Where can people find you if they have questions or where would you direct them to if uh, they would like to follow you or find more information about you? Yeah. So, well, the summit is music summit.biz music summit.biz, but you can find my podcast at the portfoliocomposer.com. And I am at Garrett Hope, two R's, two T's, dot com. All right. Perfect. Thank you so much, Garrett, for joining us. We really do appreciate it. My pleasure. Yeah, thank you again.